everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horvath. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandace.com and sign up for our Patreon account. You get early access to episodes, bonus content, live AMAs, and shout outs on our podcast. Speaking of shout outs, this week's shout out is going to be to Andrew Brodell. Thank you for being a Patreon, supporting the podcast. It means a ton to me and to all of you that sign up. It helps me to continue podcasting. Last bit of housekeeping, hydration. It's super important. You know you should be drinking more water. I know I should be drinking more water. I just don't have the time. So Liquid IV has my back. With special technology that I am not smart enough to understand, it hydrates you three times more effectively and three times faster. Their flavors are really great. They have a defense powder that's really good for going into cold and flu season. They have a nighttime powder that honestly is amazing. I take it before bed and I'm just out. It just gives me very restful sleep. So if you go to liquid-iv.com and use code Candice, you can save 25%. Again, that's liquid-iv.com and code Candice to save 25%. All right. Whew. That was a lot. This week, we have Renat Gabatov joining the podcast, as well as my husband, Eric. I love bringing Eric on because I love getting like a male's perspective as well as like someone who's a bit of an entrepreneur i think it adds a lot of value to the conversation renat is a serial entrepreneur a nomad the founder of lifestyle engineering just a really cool guy we had an awesome conversation i hope you learn a lot and have a lot of fun enjoy Well, thank you for joining the podcast today, Renat. If you want to, well, I should also do this because I never do this. We also have my husband, Eric, joining. So the other mysterious voice is, is the husband. Hey, folks. <laughs> so you are the founder of Lifestyle Engineering. What is Lifestyle Engineering to you? What does that mean? Lifestyle Engineering is my, my little community together. And my ambition was when I was growing up to find people who are just like me, who are adventurous, who are open-minded and who ask themselves a question, okay, what is possible? And when I was growing up personally, I had, I had this question when reading biographies, I asked, hey, if that person can do it, can I also do it? And I thought I could. With that, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because it's a curse because you, you got to put yourself in the environments where you have, to, you have to go and pursue kind of the most challenging things that are out there in the world. And the blessing is it's, it's freaking exciting. <laughs> pretty, it's pretty awesome. So, and Candice, you were on my podcast as well, Lifestyle Engineering. And mm-hmm. um, what the podcast is about, essentially, I'm writing a book right now. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to decode how people find fulfillment and meaning in their lives. And the idea is to interview people from all walks of life, from Navy SEALs to entrepreneurs and other folks and try to understand what they have in common and how they find that thing that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's just a small task that you're trying to accomplish. Nothing, <laughs> nothing huge. So basically, it sounds like living life on purpose to me, which I think is really important. And then like consciously crafting your life instead of just like, I guess, drifting through it or not participating in your life. Would you say that's accurate? Exactly. You know, Candice, it's, it's very interesting how I believe that the personal development industry got it wrong. They tell us to look for all of the answers inside. Uh, you know, we were taught that, hey, if I meditate enough on what I want out of life, then all of a sudden, all of the answers are going to come to me and I'm going to have this uh, perfect plan for what I want my life to be. 
Mm-hmm. And my book thesis is actually approaching the same question backwards. Uh, it says, hey, what if we do not know what we're passionate about? And then the idea is, okay, if you do not know, if, you, if that is the starting point, then how can we become more self-aware? How can we find uh, those like passions, interests, and ways of living that will make us the happiest that we can be? And the answer that I found is through experimentation. So you put yourself in new environments, you do things that you believe that are going to make you more more joyful, more excited. Essentially, you create a hypothesis for what you believe is going to bring you the want. Then you do a test and boom, you either prove the hypothesis right or you prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Let's, I mean, if you don't mind, let's rewind the tapes a little bit. And I want to find out where this all started for you. Like where did this journey start? How, how did you even come up with this? And then like, what like kind of trial and error did you have to go through in order to like come up with the recipe that you came up with to design a life? So uh, first of all, for, uh, for the background, I was born in a nomadic family. So my parents, they did have a base in, in Russia, in Moscow, but their formative years were spent of when the Soviet Union collapsed. And before Soviet Union, you cannot get information all that easily. Yeah, you only can consume information that's on TV. Uh, you cannot go outside of the country. Uh, there is very little diversity of thought that, that you get to experience. And the Soviet Union collapses and then they say, okay, what, you know, what if we go and experience the world? You know? And then they had me and my sister, which didn't stop them. They pretty much took me and my sister everywhere. And by now I've been to close to 70 countries. I'm not sure if it's over or under, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's probably me really excited about trying new things and step into other people's perspectives and other ways of doing things. I think that's, that's kind of the onset of the journey. Hey, did I hear you say nomadic family? Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Like what is a nomadic family? <laughs> Well, I guess nomadic family would be the one that doesn't doesn't have a home base. Uh, in my case, they were they were nomadic-ish. I guess <laughs> we had a home base in in Moscow, but my parents they just wanted to go places, and maybe every month or every couple months they would just buy a ticket randomly. Sometimes it was to Thailand. Sometimes I ended up in Africa, in Africa, going on the, on this on this jeep next to the lions and, and <laughs> really seeing how how you know how people live in the tribes, how they live in the houses made of uh, out of poop. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. I only got to appreciate it now because I do remember. There was this moment in somewhere in the United Kingdom I was, I was in the back seat and I was so annoyed. I was just like, fuck, we're going to this next location to see the next thing. I was like, can I just sit at home and do my thing and watch movies, play video games or whatever? I was so tired of going to all those places. That's incredible. So where did you guys stay? Like, so you had a family of four and you would be like, you said visiting tribes. Would you be staying with the tribes? In that particular example, we we did like an experience with them. And it's actually not very difficult to do if you're not doing it the touristy way. My dad, he doesn't like doing touristy stuff. So mm-hmm. he rents a car usually in every country. 
And we end up just driving and stopping anywhere that, that we please. And it comes also with, with the downside. And the downside is you roll in at 1 a.m. in a tiny ass city, you know, somewhere in like Croatia, you know, <laughs> before smartphones, you do not know, you do not know where the hotels are or how to find them. So you literally bang on the doors and ask, Hey, is there a hotel? And I do remember us having, we once, once in Italy, actually, we had to, we couldn't find, we couldn't find hotels. It was, it was like in Rome and the only hotels that were open, they were like super expensive. They were like three, $400. And we ended up staying in the car. That was like the only experience I remember. <laughs> I slept in the trunk <laughs> of the car, but you know, no, it was super fun. You know, as a kid, you, you just want to, you just want to do cool things and everything that's unusual. It's, it's not, it's not, it's an experience. So we'll wake up. We wake up in that car. Uh, my, my parents let me out. And when we realized it was dark when we parked the car, it, we realized that we parked where, where they're dumping cars for metal and they're like breaking them. We, we parked our car next to, next to that spot. No way. That's, in, that's, in, that's incredible. So what a belief system. Like right from the get-go, it's like uncertainty is no big deal. We're just going to go do something. We don't even know where we're going to stay. We're just going to bang on some doors. If we have to, we'll just stay in this rent-a-car. Oh my gosh, I couldn't function like that. I'm someone that thrives off of like predictability. Like I just, planning. planning. I love planning. It's what gets me like really excited. I would be I would too. Be I'm nervous the same wreck. way. <laughs> You're probably this because it was so chaotic in the beginning, but what an adventure. Yeah, I think so. For me, right now, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I love clarity. I like uh, setting goals. I have a 40-page document. It's like a life manifesto where I say what I want out of life in different categories of life. So I'm trying to be extremely strategic. And in lifestyle engineering, what we do is we look at different data and ways to quantify what we want uh, when running the experiments, right? And one one thing I would I would say, I do not think that taking risks is necessarily risky or Leaning into uncertainty is a risky thing because if you've done it enough, if you've gone on this, say, road trips where you will not know where to stay, if you figure it out 10 times out of 10, then you know that, hey, it's, it's actually like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, the worst thing is I sleep in the car. Big deal. Mm-hmm. So, and that reduces risk massively, massively like the, uh, the, the risk in terms of how, how you fear, I would say. Fear is a better word. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear of uncertainty. So mm-hmm. you, you can have uncertainty, but it's not scary anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and risk is one of those things that there's like a spectrum of it. So there's like risk tolerance and everybody has a different tolerance for it, which means that it's just up here, right? And once you can identify that it's just up here, then you can be like, okay, you can gauge whichever way you want it to be and you can kind of like design it your own, your own way. And it's like anything else too, right? Like if you have the more exposure you have to something, like the less you react to it over time. Absolutely. It's also something that is subjective, right? Because one person fears spiders, the other person doesn't care. Yeah. I guess, I guess it depends what, uh, you know, what is risk? How do we define it? Because once we define the risk, then we get to evaluate it and everybody is going to have a different way to, uh, to evaluate risk based on their specific circumstances and belief systems. So how do we get started on like, what's the beginning steps for lifestyle engineering? And uh, so her and I have been talking to 2020 completely, you know, fucked everyone up. Everyone's plans are gone. Everyone's plans. You can goal set all you want in 2020, put a big wrench in it. I guarantee it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a really incredible opportunity 
for people to just to kind of start over. Let's like go back to first principles and find out exactly what it is we want, exactly what it is makes sense for us. So that's something we've been talking about a lot is like, okay, what's, let's just start here. Where's the next 10 years going to take us? Mm-hmm. And then what are the steps? How do we reverse engineer the next, you know, what, where we want 10 years to be? How do we reverse engineer it and then execute on exactly what it is to get there? But so then we're, 2020 happens. Yeah, exactly. So but right. it, start over, right? Let's figure out what the next 10 years is going to be. So from your company, the lifestyle engineering company, like what are the, what are the steps we should take or someone should take to get, to get started? Absolutely. So for, for, just for a little bit of context as well, lifestyle engineering is my passion project. And this is something that gives me fulfillment. I'm an entrepreneur myself. I ran an online education company previously that I exited from and I'm on to the next adventure. I'm also into startups like you. So lifestyle engineering is something that, that I just feel incredible about because I have, I have the people who are part of the community and I have an excuse to have something that I can come back to and say, hey, this is like, this is something I love. And, and essentially lifestyle engineering is one of those things that I could leverage to pursue my curiosity. And I know Candace talks about pursuing curiosity a lot. Mm-hmm. For me, I, can, I get to interview really interesting humans and say, hey, this is like, I'm trying to decode human experience, fulfillment, purpose, all of those things. And then it goes under, I guess, un- under that theme. So that just for, for context, because I think, I think it's important to, to know that I'm not just teaching things or preaching people how to experiment with life and what to do and writing books. I'm also being like a professional, developing in many facets. So to come back to the big question and the big question, okay, so right now there's a little bit more uncertainty. How do we run experiments, right? So my take on experiments is if we do not know the starting point or if we are not certain what we want from life, first of all, creating some constraints is very important. So I I try to pick a category. Let's say we pick a category relationships, right? And there I'm trying to understand how do I want to feel if my relationships are solid, if everything is going, is going super well. So uh, if I know, okay, I want to feel, do you guys have, do you guys have an answer? I know relationships is a big, is a big theme that I guess you might be passionate about. How do you want to feel if a relationship is going well? Yeah, I separate like life and like nine different categories, and one of them can be really romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, how do you guys feel when relationships are dialed? When you are like the happiest you can be in connected. I think connection is huge. I think having a sense of interdependence instead of being codependent. I think that's like a fundamental part of having a healthy relationship. So you both have fulfilled lives separately, but also a fulfilled life together. So I think if some person maybe like is maybe struggling or doesn't have a sense of purpose and that's going to negatively affect the relationship, but it's when you both have something that you're excited about separately and then you're both excited for your life together. Right. You feel accepted, belonging, mm-hmm. like all these things. Yeah. Accepted, belonging, uh, love that, having independence as well and mm-hmm. codependence. And so we identified a few, a few awesome words. Can you tell me a few examples of you feeling those feelings? Like when do you feel those things? I would say when shit hits the fan and you feel incredibly supported by the people that you're in a relationship with. Any, maybe any specific particular example from life that, that comes to mind? You don't have to share. You can. Oh, shit. Let's we've get got, personal. Yeah, we've got a hundred yeah. of them. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> 
shit hits the fan a lot. So for me, the first thing that comes to mind, like our son had like a really traumatic birth and something that could have been like the worst situation of my life. Like we got so insanely close and like we're very like supportive of each other and when one person like needed to cry the other one was like you know a sign or was like a pillar of like fortitude and vice versa so like we were really good at just like knowing what the other person needed i think like really in flow yeah without having to even talk because there wasn't a lot of talking we were just kind of just trying to like power through it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, absolutely. And those are, those are fantastic. Uh, those are well, fantastic examples and, and appreciate you guys sharing. So the, the way I create exper- experiments is I, I look at evidence from, from my life that made me think that, hey, I actually do want belonging. You mm-hmm. know, I do want to feel like there is somebody who is going to be there for me during the most difficult times in my life. And from there, you can say, okay, how can I distill it further or how, how can I prove those things? Maybe you guys could do um, a Tough Mudder race together, hypothetically. Just, you know, <laughs> spreading it out, whatever, whatever, whatever you guys like. And uh, so we, we can take one of those, some of those experiences and, and we can engineer proactively life that has those components in it, right? You could do more things that strengthen your relationship. And that's what lifestyle engineering in many ways is about. A lot of folks, they say, hey, I want X, Y, and Z. I want to be an actress. You know, I want to, I want to be a singer. They'd never do it. They've never tried it. They've never tried it. And that's the problem that I have. Like, how do you know if those are the things that you want, if you want to be an actress, if you've never been in the industry, if you've never been on set, if you have yeah, no you idea. Yeah, you may hit Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, just finding, uh, creating that, uh, those hypotheses. And then what I personally like doing is I like running experiments that are 30 days long or sometimes a month and a half long. And there are a few that I'd be happy to share with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So right now, the most recent experiment is a phone-free week. So it's day six. I'm living without the phone. It's amazing. And what I'm testing, which is very important, what's the objective of the experiment? I'm testing, am I going to be happier and more present without the phone? The answer so far is hell yes. <laughs> and you, know, you know what? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy an old phone from the Matrix, you know, the one, the one with like the green screen and like the big buttons. And that's what I'm going to have. I'm like going forward because that's the experiment I wanted to do. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to still have a smartphone, but I'm going to leave it at home. And then if people want to get in touch with me, I'll have the old ass <laughs> Matrix phone. There's a new company. I can't think of the name, but it was just Joe Rogan just talked about it. And it's a new phone that all it has is phone calls, text messaging, and podcasts. Like there's, you cannot add anything podcast, else obviously. to it. <laughs> yes. Podcast. And that's what he said they went wrong. He's like, you shouldn't have just had phone calls and texting. Yeah. But I think it's really important to kind of disconnect a little bit. I know I, for one, am like on my phone way too much. And I already know my answer would be yes, I'm happier if I went a week without my phone. I also saw that you announced that you were like off of social media and you like were unfollowing everyone. I was like, what is he up to? (laughs) You'll be surprised by how many people took it personally. So that's another (laughs) experiment. That's another experiment that I wanted to do. I wanted to see, well, I kind of knew that I'm less happy when I check social media. That was something I was certain about. I'm, I'm a big fan of the binary approach to, to life. It's like either I do something all in or I do not do it at all. 
And with social media, I keep coming back to it. I keep uh, getting distracted. To be very honest, you know, I've been using my social media to talk to girls for the most <laughs> part. And, <laughs> and, and most of my meaningful friendships, they, they happen on, on WhatsApp anyways. So what I want to do is I wanted to go kind of cold turkey on Instagram and the way to do it is to is to unfollow everybody and most of the people that that I've met I might not be able to you know to to find once again but with that being said yeah you're giving something away and yes social media has its benefits and it's very easy to have the, those little benefits saying but what about that little thing and you connecting with like this unique person or whatever everything in life is a trade off and in the case of social media, the downside is so massive, so mm-hmm. massive for me, mainly with mental health, mainly with mental health. Right now, we're going through a massive pandemic. For context, I was trapped in my apartment for five months in Argentina. They wow. had a lockdown for five months. The restaurants were closed. Everything was closed. You could just go to the grocery store and you know, you could do takeout. But I was also in a country where I did not speak the language, where I did not have a French circle. And that messed with me. That was with me mentally. And I started taking my mental health a lot more seriously. And this is, this is something I'm very passionate about. And I'd love to see what we can do in order to, in order to mitigate for, uh, for the challenges that are going to happen. I really believe that because of this year, I think and the entire generation is going to get a little, a little screwed from, from that perspective, uh, even beyond social media and phones. No, I think so too. I think people are going to have a lot of like social anxiety that maybe they never had before just from lack of communication with people. I think people are going to be more like depressed because they feel more disconnected. I think there's a lot of fear that's going to be even subconsciously instilled in people. So like now maybe they're going to be more negative about like their health maybe, and they might not necessarily need to. So what are some steps that you would say for someone that's like feeling these mental effects of like the pandemic in general? To be very frank, I'm not the person to ask. And mm-hmm. I try to speak about things that I'm an expert at. I still have challenges with, you know, with, you know, feeling sad from time to time. And mm-hmm. I'm very open about those things. I think it's a very human thing to do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I believe that when we share, then we, we get to be more connected with people mm-hmm. because they, because they, they say, Oh, I feel the same way. It's like, Mm-hmm. Uh, here, here's what I try. Or if you ever want to give me a call or let's go do something fun, you know, it's, it's really helpful. So accepting emotions is something that worked really well for me specifically. Uh, and this is something pretty new. Uh, you know, when I feel sad, I'm just like, fuck, I don't want to feel sad. That kind of sucks to feel sad, but that's rejecting an emotion. And mm-hmm. there are multiple ways to reject an emotion. Uh, one of the common ways I resort to is to put a wall and being different, being the gray area. And that sucks because what I learned from a friend of mine, and that turned out to be really true for me, you cannot selectively turn off one emotion. If you are turning off emotions, you're turning up off all of them. That's happiness, um, excitement, uh, you know, thrill. It's all of the good things as well. So what I started doing is I started, I started kind of leaning in and saying, hey, yeah, I feel sad. Kind of, you know, it, it sucks, but that's what it is. What makes me feel sad? Or like, why, 
why, why is that the case? And here's the thing. So once I accept something, uh, like, uh, like an emotion of sadness, and then I look at my environment, then I look at my thoughts, uh, then I look at uh, the, the, the things that like kind of the inputs that get processed by my body and there's an output, sadness or whatever. So for me, I realized that I didn't hug a person for three months in Argentina. I was like, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not cool. And, what I did, I just like, I literally, I bought a ticket to go here to Istanbul in Turkey. And I knew the environments that make me feel happy. And I just put myself in this new environment and things have been pretty awesome over here so far. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so easy. It's, it doesn't have to be that hard. I know a lot of men, especially that I've talked to, will overanalyze the hell out of their own feelings. But sadness in general, like, you probably don't have to overanalyze it or frustration or anger. Like everyone around you is arguing right now in the States anyway. And I know in a lot of places in the world, like everyone's on Twitter yelling at each other. That's (laughs) that's frustrating. Of course you're going to feel frustrated. Someone might say something that sparks something inside of you, something that connects that makes you angry. Of course you're going to be angry, right? It's what we decide to do with those emotions is the important part. Are you going to act on them? Are you going to act negatively towards somebody else because of those emotions rather than just accept them and feel them and be like, okay, this is an interesting emotion. I love what you mentioned just now. I believe that emotions are a guiding force for us to, to, to make better decisions. So if we're checking Twitter and then it makes us feel angry, if it's unproductive anger, uh, and by unproductive, I mean nothing happens other than you feeling angry, then you should probably not check Twitter. It's as simple <laughs> as it gets. But if you feel angry because something messed up is happening in the world, Go ahead and do something about it because the way people find, find things that they're passionate about, because anger is, is also a statement of passion, uh, right? Uh, you, you might have values that are different from the other person and you want the world to be more consistent with your values or you're angry because, they, say, the fires are burning in California or because minorities do not have a voice, whatever. Go do something about it. Like if you feel anger, uh, it's, it's all right. It's, it's a force that tells you, hey, you might, be, you might be passionate about it. I think it's better to feel anger than to feel indifference and to feel nothing about what's happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I agree. And I, I love that you said, more or less, you said like screening your inputs. Once you realize that something is making you feel this way, if it's unproductive, then stop, remove that input, right? Try to find and replace it with something more powerful. Like social media, if something's making you angry, if you're following a particular page or something like that and everything they post is like really making you angry, but it's coming from an unproductive place, then just follow something more powerful. Follow something more more interesting. Follow some other curiosity and replace it with that, right? Exactly. So there's, I've had a lot of men tell me that it's very hard for them to even like pinpoint what they're feeling. Like it's hard for them to identify emotions. I think a lot of that is just like, how we've raised boys in the past. So can you give some tips to listeners how you are so able to like pinpoint what you're feeling? Because like both of you obviously seem to be pretty self-aware when it comes to like, I'm feeling this. So I'm going to do this about it. So a lot of people aren't there yet. So how do you like first, I guess, ex- like know what emotion is being expressed? Hmm. Do you think? I'll leave that to you. I don't- <laughs> you're still working on yours? <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, it was not that long ago. She used to say I had the emotional span of a teaspoon. <laughs> In my experience, getting context on men's experience of life 
of like what what we what we feel is is very important. When I was living in Bali, and I'll tell you me living around the world as well. And so when I was living in Bali, I spent there seven months. I started going to men groups. And it's like men's circles or, and essentially in, in those groups, you have an environment to authentically share whatever is happening in your life. If you're feeling insecure, you say it. If you have problems in relationships and if, you know, if somebody make, made you feel a certain way, you say it. And there were a number of really beautiful things that, that happened for me attending. Number one was an incredible level of belonging to fellow men. I was like, fuck, these guys are just like me. They experience same things like I do. You know, they too feel rejected. You know, they too feel insecure from time to time. They too feel excited, whatever it is. And I realized, hey, like, this is really cool. And I look, I started looking at men differently as well. Uh, instead of looking at them as adversaries, I started looking at them, hey, there are other, other guys just like me going through the same experiences. And like, I want them to feel good. You know, I want, uh, I want them to, to be successful in all endeavors. I want them to get laid. I want them to be, you know, to make money. So context, context was really important. Uh, it's, it's the reason I like reading biographies as well. Just knowing how people think, what people go through massively powerful. I'm not sure if it's a, if, if it's a good enough answer, uh, but this, this was, this was one of the things that, that helped me tremendously in just understanding what I'm going through and building up my self-awareness because people also give you input. It's like, Hey, it's like, I've had that as well. And you might want to think about it from this different angle. So having an external output on what you're feeling, because what we feel a lot of the times is, is something that we feel we do not know how to think about it. Having another person that is unbiased to look at my life and say, hey, those are bullshit stories that you're telling yourself. You know, you, you should stop doing this. And you cannot heal yourself uh, that way yeah, in, my, in my experience. So yeah, having, uh, having a perspective and have, ha- having an external out, uh, input on, on what you're going through, those are things that help me. I think that's super helpful. So when you're traveling all over the world, are you doing this like mostly by yourself or do you have like a buddy that's going with you? I usually travel by myself. Most of the time I travel by myself. I'm trying to change my approach a little bit because I realized again that I'm a lot happier when I go to see people mm-hmm. that I'm already in deep relationships with. So I, I know a lot of people just because I'm a very extroverted person. I invest into building new relationships. I also have certain skills that allow me to connect with females and, and just people in general. Mm-hmm. And having a, quanti- having a lot of relationships do not, doesn't make me happier. Having deeper relationships is what makes me a lot happier. And what I try to do right now is, oh, I, I'm going to go to a place where I know I'm going to be surrounded by, by people who love me who appreciate me, who I appreciate, and who we can go deep and do cool things. So here in Turkey, I just moved to, to Turkey. Uh, it's one of the only places I can go to as a holder of a Russian passport during a pandemic. Kind of sucks. But so I rented, I rented this beautiful place, very central, and I have a guest bedroom by design. And about probably over 10 people in the last... So I've been here for maybe four or five weeks. Around 10, 12 people have gone through my apartment. Just uh, <laughs> two folks, 
two folks just flew out. They, they just left from, from my apartment. They're just entrepreneurs, you know, from, from Ukraine. You know, I had folks from America coming from just all over the world. And this has become a spot where people can come and stay for free, just enjoy it, have great conversations, be productive at. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> this, uh, this is one of the things that I've done in terms of people. That's so neat. So when you're traveling by yourself and you're finding like these men's groups, like how do you go about discovering them? To be frank, I did not proactively do this. This was um, when I was living in Bali. This is Mm -hmm. something that happened. This is something that happened. Just somebody told me how powerful it was. I was super skeptical. I was so skeptical. I was like, no freaking way am I going to attend one of those. It sounds like crystal wearing hippies are going to, you know, <laughs> teach me to be more mindful. Fuck that. And then I came and it's like, it was at a CrossFit gym. It was like no bullshit. It was super honest, you know, and one of the rules that we have, no coaching. No coaching. You can only share your experience. You know, and that, that, that was just an amazing, an amazing thing because nobody gave you advice. They were just there. So I've, I, I'm in an entrepreneur group like that, but it takes, and it's almost every time I go, I, now I'm better at it because I've been doing it for a year, over a year, but it was almost before that, it was every time I go, I always could find a reason not to do it or not to go and have to like find out like, okay, what is it? Why am I sabotaging myself? Because I know that it's important to have these groups, to have like-minded human beings that you can talk to, that can, you can like communicate your emotions and communicate these things because otherwise they bottle up and they turn into something negative, right? Or you can like act out on them if you don't actually like share, like you said earlier. Is that an entrepreneurship group? Yeah, it's called the EO. Mm-hmm. Uh, Entrepreneur. uh, Entrepreneurs Organization. Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, yeah. I'm very familiar. Yeah, um, it's not, it's not so, a men's group, but um, I, I've never done any men's group stuff. I have one coming up that's pretty similar to a men's group, but I haven't actually mm-hmm. done the men's group stuff. But I, I'll speak for a lot of the men I know in like entrepreneurial, like even people that don't go to these types of groups will not in the EO. I think that their natural reaction to them is, it's a waste of time. Like this is right. This is the thought loop that's going on inside their head. Mm. I'm, I don't need that. Like what's it going to do for me? You know what I mean? And there's like all these questions as to like, what the, what the fuck's the point? Like, why am I going to go to a men's group and share my feelings with a bunch of dudes? And the thing is, so the reason why I had gone to similar stuff in the past is because I was like, well, I can't think of a good reason why not to. And if I'm measuring my life on the experiences that I have, then this is some sort of avoidance that I'm experiencing right now. So why don't I just try it regardless of the negative feelings I have towards that or the judgment that I have, right? Because judgment's there for a reason. And why not just jump in and try it and see see what happens? And then that, you know, all of a sudden you find out like, whoa, I felt kind of good. <laughs> like being with a group of people mm-hmm. like that's nice that think like me totally i yeah. i think there are there are a number of things that that might be happening with entrepreneur groups i've been to a large number of entrepreneur groups as well eo in particular as far as i know is a, a broad it's, it's a big group of people so I'm, I, you, you have a chapter right in, in yeah there's fourteen thousand members there's chapters in different cities all over the world yeah, the depth of relationships is 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 very important, yeah. and it's it's close to impossible to connect with when you have like hundreds uh, upon hundreds of people. That, that's that's I guess one thing. Um, second thing would be clarity, 
like clarity as for like, why do you want to do this? For me, going to men's groups is I want to do this because I feel better when there is an outlet to express myself and express things that I cannot express outside of that confined environment. You know, I, I, I cannot just walk on the street, meet up, you know, meet up uh, a random person who's not going to judge me, who is going to listen to me, you know, for, for a certain period of time. And so that, I think that that is also the clarity, getting clarity as for like why you want to do things. A lot of entrepreneurship groups that I've been a part of, it's like if there is nothing in particular I want out of, out of them, then I'm not going to be excited. I'm not going to participate because entrepreneurship is very broad. Like if there is a group of people who want to say, go from say 1 million to 10 million, you know, they run a company that focuses on whatever, or or like in this industry, it's like, cool, I'll talk, you know, I'll talk to them. This is exactly what I want to accomplish. Uh, Here's, you know, I know exactly why I want to accomplish those things. So getting to clarity, I think if people are not certain, then I would try to get the clarity and I'll try to also write down the excuses and see if the excuses are valid or my, why am I, you know, have those excuses? Like, is this a defense mechanism or is this a good point? You've been an entrepreneur your whole life. Have you had a, like a real job ever? I, I freelanced a little bit, a little bit, but mainly, mainly I've been entrepreneurial yeah, the majority of my life. And to be very honest, kind of going away from, from, being an entrepreneur is really, really difficult. So my previous business, the, the reason I left my previous business, that was around four months ago, everything was going stellar. We reached all of our goals. I had an amazing team of people who literally told me we're not working at this company and doing this work has changed my life. Thank you so much. I got all of the good things that that I kind of wrote on paper and I realized that having the best case scenario in that company wasn't fulfilling enough or didn't didn't feel good enough. So if the best case scenario doesn't work out for you, then, then there is no point of, of doing it. So I left, uh, I left my partnership and uh, right now I'm looking for my, my next adventure. And I left it not because I didn't have ideas of where to take that specific business. I didn't feel like I had enough power to steer the ship where I wanted to go and to move quick enough. So that that's why I've been entrepreneur real kind of throughout my life. I, I like I like having having this freedom. I like having this con- kind of a little bit of control as well of like what I get to create. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Well, we all had to work from home for a while, right? Like. Yeah. How many, six months? And now it's becoming like a super normal thing to work from home. So I think a lot of people might be, that thing might be clicking like, wait, like what else can I do? Like, I think you called yourself on one of your blogs or stuff like a digital nomad, (laughs) right? And I think a lot of people are starting to feel like digital nomads because they're like, shit, I can do this job. I can freelance. I can do exactly what I do with the freedom of being at home and being with my family and actually feeling the fulfillment of being with my family. But Mm -hmm. starting you know, it's very different to be a freelancer and to earn your own money. It's very different to do that as it is to like start a company as an entrepreneur and start something from scratch or just invent an idea or invent something that might benefit X amount of people. Like that's two very different things. And I think a lot of people want to figure out how to bridge that gap 
between working for a company from home, which is what they're doing, to starting something fresh that they can call their own and actually like lifestyle engineer their career. So it sounds like you've bridged that gap already several times. And it's kind of like the way you do things. Do you have any like, I guess, what, what, it, what does it take to go from one to the other? And, you know, when it comes to deciding like this is something I'm passionate about and it's worth it, I'm going to put all the energy into it. Like, how, did, how do you know? Yeah. And, and I guess my answer would come back to the idea of experimentation. Again, let's, let's try it out. Let's, let's freelance. Let's not commit to one particular business. Let's try working at different ones as a, uh, as a freelancer or with, I don't think everybody should be entrepreneurs because that's not necessarily what brings them happiness and fulfillment. A lot of people, they want stability, safety, and they want depth. And for me, the challenge of my personality is I like experimentation. I get excited really quickly about things. I sprint, but then I get bored. And I, and in order to build businesses, you need to give them a few years and see, see how they go. You need to find solutions to, uh, to the roadblocks that, that come in. And, and when you get distracted, it's really tough to do. So I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur. I think it could be really interesting for somebody to try something out, you know, uh, try out a business and see if you like it or try freelancing for myself, what I've found, and I found it through also experimentation and trying a lot of different uh, professional routes, I, I realized that I like the depth that I get to experience professionally. For example, I started a company in, uh, in, 2000, in 2018. We had like nothing. It was just me and my business partners. And then we got one employee, then we got five, then we got 10, then we got 15. And I realized, hey, like I'm really passionate about seeing a project through and developing people, developing employees. Leadership development is something I absolutely loved. I did a lot of exercises on helping people outline what they want from life and what they want professionally, how they want to grow, giving the projects based on the directions they want to grow into, based on things that they want to learn. And that was one of the things I realized through actually committing to two projects for a longer period of time that leadership development is something I love and I cannot practice that skill. I cannot practice developing employees, building all-star teams, you know, increasing their performance if I'm just bouncing from one thing to another. So my next project, I want to be for five, 10 years. Mm. Yeah. So I guess the, to bridge that gap, it's really just, well, one, just get fucking started, right? Yeah. Action is the cure for everything. And then just experiment. So get started and experiment. Now, just get, just do it. Just get started. Richard Branson's like famous for that, right? He wrote a book. What was it called? Screw it. Let's Screw do it. it. Let's do it. Yeah. And you exactly. made your way. How the hell did, so you made your way to Necker Island. He's so <laughs> jealous. He wants to <laughs> know exactly. Branson, right? can, can you tell us how the hell did that happen? The Richard Branson story. I told it too many times and I'm very happy to share it again. And uh, Richard Branson is one of those people that are like, man, you've lived such an interesting life. Mm -hmm. He probably lived the most interesting life out of everybody that I've heard of. And I'm, I was really excited to, to meet him. So big picture, I was writing down my bucket list. Uh, I wanted to do things before 
that, that I have to do before I die, but way earlier. I didn't want to postpone anything. I didn't want to wait until I'm like 50 years old because I cannot skydive with the crutches, right? So, so I wanted to, <laughs> to do most of the things I know by the age of 40. And I was 19 years old. I was writing down all of the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to experience. And during the time I was reading Richard Branson's biography, Losing My Virginity, and I really loved his biography. I really love what he's done. I really love how he thinks, how he, how he acts. He's just, he was a big kind of role model for me. One of the things I wrote, one of the first five things, I probably have um, that, that piece of paper still somewhere in my backpack where, where I wrote So I wrote down, I want to kite surf with Richard Branson on Necker Island. And I just put it away. And then at one point I was like, okay, let's see, let's see what I can cross off. Uh, let's see what, what are the things that I can kind of develop and, and, and see what happens. So I obviously remember that kite surfing with Richard Branson on Necker Island story was very specific. And uh, I was 19 years old. I was pretty naive. And at the same time, I had this fire in my eyes. I was like, I don't care what, what has to happen. I, you know, I'll, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make it happen. Somebody has done it. I'll do it. And so in about maybe a year from, from the moment when I wrote that bucket list item down, I had a virtual assistant. Um, yeah, I've read the four hour work week about leveraging virtual assistants and all that. Uh, so I hired a, a virtual assistant and I asked her to give me a list of all places where Richard Branson is going to be in when was it? 2016, I think. <laughs> and she did that. Uh, she, um, uh, she gave me a spreadsheet with all the places. There were like a bunch of places where he's speaking and everything. So I went one by one to every event. And there was one event that I saw. And that event was a private event. It shouldn't be listed anywhere. And it's for the Extreme Tech Challenge. It's for kite surfing entrepreneurs. And I'm a massive kite surfer. I'm just like, holy shit, this is amazing. This cannot be real. And this was the, the finals of this Extreme Tech Challenge. So uh, tens of thousands of companies, apply, startups apply to the challenge. And then at the end of the day, uh, at the end, you get three startups to pitch on Necker Island to Richard Branson and to a bunch of other venture capitalists. So when I looked at the event page, I started thinking about the kind of the angles as I'm going, um, as I'm going through it kind of as a, as a marketer, I was like, okay, how, what, how can I contribute? So I, I thought about cold reaching out, but then I, I keep scrolling through the page and I see, I see one person that I knew that was actually going to be on the judge panel. So there are like three or four judges and one of them is the venture capitalist, Tim Draper. Uh, maybe you happen to know him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I went to Tim Draper's acceleration program just before, maybe seven months prior that. And I got to be in a pretty good relationship with him. You know, I flipped his canoe and his farm, you know, and got him all like wet and muddy with his other friend. And we're just like, we're just having a really good time. And Tim is just such an adventurous person as well. So I realized that, okay, he's going to be a judge. This is a private event, hundred people. You know, I got to hit him up and I got to see if I can come. But hitting that person up and saying, hey, can I go to meet Richard Branson? is not something that I've seen works. And I thought about how can I make it an offer he cannot refuse? How can it be the most interesting thing for him? How can I deliver value for him? So I thought, okay, what if I go on the island and get to represent his acceleration program 
and bring my energy, kind of tell, you know, uh, tell people about the cool projects that I've been working on as well. So I, I hit up Tim Draper and I say, hey, I would love to come represent, represent you and the, uh, and the program. You know, this can be a fantastic opportunity for you. And then I also dropped a couple of things that I did to kind of contribute to, to the program before. Not necessarily to make them feel like, okay, now I have to return the favor. It was more like, hey, I'm a good kind of person. I want to, I want to make, you know, I want to contribute. That was kind of the intention. So he replies maybe same day or the day after. CC's the, the organizer of, of the event. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm not sure if I can come, but Renat should def- definitely come instead of me. I was like, holy shit, this is, this is impossible. So this like billionaire venture capitalist, you know, just, you know, just referred me to, to go instead of him. And he's like a panelist uh, uh, or a judge at the, at the event. So they helped me up with the ticket. There's another story about how, like, how I got money to, to go to the thing because it's pretty expensive. Just, you know, flights and plus the ticket itself. Uh, to go. So yeah, that's how I ended up there. But they, I think that what's more interesting is how I got to actually kite surf, you know, <laughs> on, on Necker Island. So I fly out to Virgin Islands, uh, to Virgin Islands, all excited. Again, uh, how old was I? It's like probably 20 years old. Yeah, I was probably 20 years old at the time. You know, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be awesome. I was working on, the, on an artificial intelligence startup, which I didn't know anything about artificial intelligence. It was complete, <laughs> complete <laughs> uh, bullshit. You know, it's just the Kool-Aid I was drinking from the Silicon Valley and from, you know, from the person I was working with. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's cool. You know, sometimes that naivete is awesome because yeah. you, get to, you get to do things that nobody else gets to do. So before event day on Necker, they send an email out. And they say, okay, if you have, if you're one of the finalists or if you have like the VIP ticket and they're like, again, it's a very small event. It's like hundred people, right? And all of them are, you know, handpicked. If you have the VIP ticket, show up at this spot, you know, at this time. If you have a regular ticket, which, which is the one I had, you should show up at this place at this time. And they send one email to everybody. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. So I just showed up. I just showed up at the location for for the VIPs, and I was just growing up with ev- with everybody. I was, you know, just talking kite surfing, talking talking life, talking startups. This massive conversation, and the person, uh, the one of the organizers, she also recognized me. She's like, "Hey, not welcome." Uh, I was like, I was I was feeling just on fire. I was feeling amazing. Then we go to the great house, which is, uh, which is the big house on, on, on the top. And that person comes to me and she's like, hey, not, you know what? I realized that you actually do not have the right type of ticket. <laughs> and I do not belong. I'm like a 20-year-old kid, you know, without, you know, without a multi-million dollar startup like everybody else. You know, I just hustled my way in. I was like, fuck, they're going to, they're going to kick me out. It's not going to be fun. So... I was thinking about the angle once again. Okay, what can I do? <laughs> what can I do? And I thought, how about this? Oh, she said uh, that the, the woman said, hey, Rena, we can, we can just get you a boat out from the island and then, and then you can just come back later. And I thought, okay, how can I make it fun? How can I make it awesome? So because it's a kite surfing, kite surfing community, I said, I have my kite with me. How about this? I go to the beach 
I go kite surf. And then in a few hours, I just come back and you don't have to worry about the boat. She's like, okay, sounds good. So I go to the beach and get my, get my kite uh, out. And then I see Richard Branson out there, you know, with literally just preparing to go kite surfing uh, himself. And there is another like world champion in like in kite surfing uh, as well. And it's like, holy shit, this is awesome. So Richard Branson walk, walks towards me. Yeah. I'm, I'm with, with my kite about to, about to uh, set off. And yeah, I just, I just give him, give him a hug and, you know, and there was a very short conversation, just a, c- a couple sentences and yeah, I go kite surfing. Richard Brunson takes off kite surfing. We kite surf next to each other. That's kite surfing on the back island that qualifies. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, that's, so that's such a, you know, the, the beautiful part about that story. I mean, obviously it's great. You went kite surfing with Richard Branson. And the fact that you wrote it down on a piece of paper a year before, mm-hmm. and then it, and it happened. But the beautiful part is everything in between. All the stuff that you did in between, you didn't exactly reverse engineer how you're going to get to Necker Island and, and like go kite surfing Richard Branson. But throughout the entire way, like you were mission oriented and you knew that this is something that you wanted to do. And you just followed opportunities and serendipity along the way. And then just like, Hustle your way. Totally. It's just incredible. I mean, that right there, that story just like aligns everything when it comes to entrepreneurship or like designing a life or whatever it might be. Right? It doesn't have to be a perfect way to get there. Like you you stumbled and fumbled quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, okay, I'm just gonna go kite surfing. And then boom, there's Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just it's just practicing the value of courage of like just going after what you want out of life and no putting excuses on hold you know, or or just going despite uh despite the you know the excuses the fears i actually tattooed uh, a word courage on my <laughs> wrist i didn't even i didn't even know that i would get a tattoo ever you know and then that word resonated with me so much that i i realized i never want to forget it you know this is this is one of the values that is so close to my heart that I want to, I want to go despite the fear. I want to take action despite the fear. Uh, The interesting thing with, with Necker, with Necker Island story. So once you're in a community, once you know some people, that's it, you're, you're part of the thing. So I came back next year and then we went up doing even a much more fun experience. We rented uh, five catamarans and it was just amazing it, it was just amazing and then i got to actually uh, meet richard branson once again but during that second time when i got to meet him i didn't feel like i actually had anything to say i was like okay you know it's like i i've read all of your books i know quite a bit about you i don't have a specific question that i want to ask you and I just felt at peace. No, I just felt that kind of at peace. I, I just felt like I didn't need to meet anybody or do any, you know, any particular thing anymore. And that was a cool moment. That was a cool moment because that was, uh, I was probably 21 years old. Um, I realized that, that I don't need to meet anybody to feel successful or, you know, to accomplish anything. The only thing that I need to do is I need to apply the information that's out there in the world and that I learned from that person, from the books that he deliberately put out so that people can learn from them. I just need to put those things in practice. And that's it. You know, the best advice is already there, right? Totally. And that was, that was a bigger, bigger impact for, for, for me. 
That's awesome. So, so for you then, what's the next mission? What's the next line item that you're going after? That's a phenomenal question. Um, I've tried a startup concept earlier. I don't think I'm going to pursue it any longer. I'm going to keep dabbling, keep experimenting, launching new things and, and see kind of what, what resonates for the most part. And yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's also difficult for my generation, for millennials to commit to one thing because we are the group of people that has all the information in front of us, has so many opportunities in front of us. And choosing something makes you automatically say no to everything else. And it's so difficult right now to Mm -hmm. commit, to build a skill, to build a relationship, to say no to everybody else, to everything else, and to say, hey, this is what I want to go for. And for me, for me, it's been quite complicated and the most fulfilling things in life come from commitment, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be a commitment even for a lifetime. You can, you can just commit to a project for a year, you know, or you can, you you can commit to a person, you know, for, you know, for a period of time and then you get to reevaluate It's uh, for example, in relationships, I get to say, Hey, let's, let's try it out. Let, you know, let's, let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see if we like each other. You know, it's like an experiment. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then from there you can, you can talk again and, and, and see what's up, but having, having commitment automatically reduces your cognitive load because you no longer have to evaluate every decision. It's already made for months or years to come. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never like heard it articulated that way, but I'm going to use that one for sure. So your website said one of like your missions was to transform like education. Is that still something that you're focused on? Yes. I, I believe education is really important. And I've been reading a lot about education and how people learn and uh, how people act based on what they know. And I, I realized that it's not access to information that is limiting people. It is people's culture and their belief systems. By culture, if we look, for example, at the initiative of you know Bill Gates buying a fuckload of laptops and bringing them, uh, those to to African countries, the effects were not the best. Uh, they were not the best, and I, I believe that they scrapped the initiative. They thought, okay, if these guys have access to computers, they will all of a sudden transform the entire continent that didn't seem to pan out the way they wanted it to. The, the thing is people never had a culture for personal growth, for development. They did not associate information with better livelihoods, with more prosperity. And I, I believe changing culture is the most important thing that we can do because again, a person in a Maasai tribe in Kenya, they already have smartphones that cost $40, $50. Many of them, they have internet. They might not even have places to charge the phone, but they have access to internet. And they, they're, they're creative ways to, to charge the phones as well. I think working with the local leaders and, and people who are respected in those countries and educating them on why education is something that can massively improve people's lives is, is, is 
probably way more important. So that was the realization I had. And another thing is, so um, I, I started a company that focuses on that focuses on digital education in Latin America, and we sold online courses. We did uh, conferences. We had a lot of free material online. Uh, the thing is, most people did not put the knowledge to practice, did mm-hmm. not take action. And personal development information is consumed uh, like Netflix. People binge watch it, nothing changes. They feel more accomplished. Oh, if I read a book, it's, it's an amazing thing. You know, people have these goals, read a hundred books or read one book a week. And after you read a book, it's like, like holy shit, yeah, I'm, I'm so cool. You know, I'm into personal development. I learned something new. Does nothing. Knowledge without application of knowledge is meaningless. It's pointless. It's, mm. There is literally does nothing. Another thing about personal development industry and what it does, it just says, hey, here's a new thing. You learn another thing, new video, new webinar, new whatever. A lot of people I know that are very successful, they love personal development, but they're super selective in terms of what they consume. And once they consume the information, they put in practice. So they actually do not necessarily read as much of you know the the personal development stuff they're like a lot more strategic and they make sure that 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 information gets practiced that's really good advice you get stuck in a hole oh yeah i find myself there a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's why experimentation is, is is super awesome so i have a few experiments that i want i want to share with you that i've done and maybe if you guys want we can figure out some of the experiments that you guys can try out as well in your life and see yeah and see how that turns out so right now, a week ago, I bought a marathon ticket. I love committing also for my experiences where there's like an end date and I cannot flake. So there is a very specific outcome. I bought a week ago, I bought a marathon ticket and the marathon was three weeks from when I, <laughs> when I bought the ticket. So I have two more weeks uh, to, <laughs> to prepare for the marathon. Oh my gosh. I did, the, I did the same thing a year ago. I had four weeks to prepare for the marathon as well. So, so yeah, I like, I like seeing, okay, can we do it? You know, and <laughs> it's kind of impossible to fail in, in a lot of those things. It's like, if you put your best effort, it's not a failure. You know, it's, it just, it, it's a success in, in so many ways. Yeah. So I did that. I lived around the world and saw which place I like the most and how I feel in different places. When I was living in Kiev, I went to an acting school. So I did actors classes intensively for for one month and that was really cool this was really awesome and this is something i'd like to pursue in the future as well i tried a carnivore diet eating only meat it was brutal <laughs> this is I've, the only ex- go ahead i've heard it's not recommended this was the only experiment that i didn't pull through with um, <laughs> i did three weeks out of four i was like and my experiment actually so here's the important thing with my experiment i i tried to have an objective for carnivore diet, my objective was to see if I'm going to feel better eating only meat. Mm-hmm. I realized the first week, I realized that I'm not going to feel any better, but I feel like still doing the experiment. Maybe something is going to change. So in a, in a way, it was like a successful experiment, but 30 days was, was a little too much. Mm-hmm. And I was in Argentina. I was eating great steaks. Mm-hmm. Still, you start hating steaks at some point. Oh, I bet. I had like five steaks a day. Oh, that yeah, sounds painful. It, it is it yeah, is pretty famous. Stories, I mean, like, like 
What's his Michaela name? Peterson. Yeah. But that's, but that's the thing though, is everyone's biology is so specific and like to say one diet is going to yeah. cure an ailment is I think very misleading. So maybe it works for her, but it could also be because she was on only meat that she probably cut out yeah. a bunch of things that she shouldn't have been eating. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily yeah. like cause effects relationship when it, with the meat. Right. And they experimented first. Like they experimented with a lot of different diets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she has a messed up microbiome to begin with. And yeah. My friends, they are from, from lifestyle engineering community. They, they also have done this and mm-hmm. this was really helpful. Essentially, you do this, uh, you do this to kind of like renew your microbiome as well. And I mm-hmm. think you can reintroduce other foods. It's one of the elimination diets that, you uh-huh. know, with dieting, I, I experiment, uh, experimented that quite a bit as well. I've tried mm-hmm. a ketogenic diet. I've tried a pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan. And I, again, the, the goal was to figure out what I'm going to feel the most energetic on. Mm-hmm. So with, with nutrition, I'm kind of, I feel like solid. I know, I know what, what's going to work for me. And one of the things I optimize in life is like, I want to feel the best. Before mm-hmm. I wanted to have, you know, to collect experiences or, you know, to to do to acquire certain things or to build a billion dollar startup right now right now my the thing i am optimizing for like i want to feel amazing like i want to wake up thrilled you know i want to feel energetic i never want to feel tired and i mean i'm 25 years old but i still feel sometimes that like okay the 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 ages <laughs> the age is showing uh, <laughs> showing me glimpses of what what may <laughs> may happen later on, and that was a scary thing that mm-hmm. was a scary thing for me did you do the flow research collective stuff with green dars that's you know, right yeah, yeah yeah did you do the program have you done that yeah amazing that's super cool yeah, yeah. I'm very good friends with Rian. yeah that's how so uh Brandon and I took it about the same time the, oh really the whole, um, what is it? Zero to dangerous. That's right. The whole program. How was your experience? That was great. So for like, I, I started taking it last year, right when they first started it, it was like fairly early last year. So we found out she was pregnant and like me as like the, the, you know, the way I am is like, I'm like always like head forward on a bunch of like different projects or on one big project or something. But, I optimize my time for that project, right? And I'm mm-hmm. kind of a workaholic a little bit. I've always have been. Like I, I just do a lot of work. And at the time too, we were traveling like crazy for her work, and we found out she was pregnant. And I was like, "Holy shit! I'm going to need to like figure out how to focus ten times better, how to optimize my schedule ten times better. Because how am I going to be able to put the time and energy I put into my work or whatever projects I'm working on when I know that I want to be a good father, I want to be a good husband." So like I searched for and I follow a bunch of stuff on Instagram and I saw it and I'm like, man, this seems like it's a perfect option to maximize my schedule, to maximize the energy and the output that I have. So then I took it and it was great. Like the positive psychology stuff, everything with the hedonic calendar and recovery and everything that was in there, I applied it, I used it and it was fantastic. We had our son in December and if I didn't develop the habits and routines that I did from that program, I think we would have had a very different experience because my meditation was on point, hydration, all that stuff was on point throughout like being extremely sleep deprived Mm -hmm. from having a a child. And without, I think like 
the sleep deprivation and the energy output that was going into you know, trying to be a good husband, be a good, good father and everything, I was also able to do other things and do work. And like I was able to maintain a good like homeostasis balance in life and it came out like... So, so what was the most surprising thing that you got out of the program? Well, was it the fact that you were sleep deprived? or Because a lot of the times who are systemically sleep deprived, they do not know. Oh, yeah. Um, so I read a book called Why We Sleep way a while ago. And that book opened my eyes up to sleep a lot and how I don't do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> and for a while, I, I got into a good habit of good sleep. But from the Zero to Dangerous program, the biggest thing, you know, the positive psychology stuff was incredible. I was already in a pretty good meditation program. But I would say the biggest thing was the recovery. And they focused a lot on recovery. And recovery isn't something you think about. Right, burnout is just a part of life. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, it just is. You're going to eventually feel like garbage. <laughs> do you have a recovery protocol? I do. Yeah, I do a lot of mobility exercises and you know working out and and I wish my weekends. I need to develop a more hedonic calendar. But yeah, I'm pretty good at you know I'll leave her and the baby for like two hours on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, and do uh, a 45 minute like yoga. And he like a good mobility stretch and then a 45 minute mm -hmm. meditation. That's kind of like my weekend, my good weekend recharge. And then as far as like daily recovery, man, I got good at it and then bad at it and then good at it and then bad at it. Like daily recovery is one of those things where the routine needs to really kick in. And it's taken us, so our son's 10 months old now. And it's, it's an ebb and flow of figuring out schedules and routines. But I think we're starting to, get in a good rhythm and then once like you know obviously family is step one for us and we want to make sure that we're doing a really good job for him priority one priority one yeah yeah and we do focus on ourselves we focus on independent stuff and everything like that but it just takes time you know work those things into the calendar and they do they work out and we've been able to engineer a pretty cool life right now mm -hmm. right mm-hmm And I think the recovery protocols are there. You know, I think they could be better. Are you, are you both following the, the program? Or she didn't take the approaches? program, but she heard me talk yeah. about it enough where yeah. she basically took the program. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how you guys sync your, your time together and uncertainty as well that comes from having, having a child. How do you guys coordinate your schedules where you get to get the most out of life together? Oh, man, that's a good question. We talk all the time. Like we work from home, both of us. Mm -hmm. so, so we're constantly talking and communicating. And checking in. Checking in and, and like saying, okay, like reviewing our, our schedules. Like on Fridays, we'll sit, we'll look down and look at our schedules for the following week. And then in the morning, first thing, we'll talk about our schedules. And, and we have like a very open line of communication to where like, no one takes anything personal. So like I've straight told him before, like if you ever think like I'm slacking as a mom or being a bad mom, say like you're being a bad mom. And like it goes the same with like, you know, husband and wife duties. So like don't, when neither of us is afraid to call the other person out. Like if he, like, so he has ADD and some, and he doesn't take medication. Like he, he meditates as right. Like for as a main form of dealing with it. But sometimes when his meditation is off, he tends to not be as present. So I'll tell him all the time. I'll be like, Hey, I need you to like focus. Like this is bothering me. This is a part where I feel like you could step it up. And instead of like getting defensive, he 
you know, take steps to improve in those areas. So I think that's also really important when it comes to relationship is being able to have that brutal honesty um, so that you can, you know, be the best version of yourself for your family. Yeah, I love what you mentioned, communication. And I think open communication comes from creating a space that is safe Mm -hmm. for people to express themselves. And that takes uh, quite a bit of work, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I'm not an expert on relationships by by any means, but I I recently had challenges where I didn't feel like the other person was communicating what's going through her mind Mm -hmm. and, you know, how she feels about things. And we'll talk about doing things together. We'll discuss just general topics, but because I didn't know how her mechanism, how her algorithm works, I just get the output, you know, then I, I really had a tough time connecting. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a ton of sense. And for us, it was just a lot of trial and error. And I think he brought to light where a lot of people maybe can't have that communication or why some people might not be as honest as you would like them to be in a relationship. Because he's like, well, if you want me to be honest, like I can't tell you something and then you freak out and start yelling at me because then I'm going to want to avoid that situation. You know, I'm not going to express something that I know is going to make you angry, cause a fight and not be any productive in the end. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I have to take accountability here too. So I'm allowed to obviously have whatever feelings in reaction to if he does something wrong, but I have to express that in a healthy way. So every time he does something wrong, I yell at him, I belittle him, and I make it all about him, and he's not going to come to me with any issues. So it's be allowing him to mess up, and then him allowing me to mess up, and then how do we fix that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in friendships in particular, what I really strongly believe in, in educating people how you want to be treated, because people are going to treat you the way they think, you know, that you want to be treated, which, and or that you gotta, them to, or that you'll, or, yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering if you guys, if you guys take any steps to educate each other, uh, I guess you've been in the relationship for, for a while and you know how, how you work, but what steps did you guys take before or what's, what steps are you taking right now in order to, in order to get clarity as for, Hey, you know, when I work, for example, I don't want to be touched. You know, when you see the headphones, nada, don't talk to me. <laughs> or it's just, just one of those things that I train my friends. You know, this is like a small thing, but it improves, improves relationships massive, massively because there are no, no annoying factors and, you know, people get to respect my way of being. Yeah. Do you guys have your ways? I don't think we have any full-blown steps, but I will say that it's about being mindful. Right. Like if something makes me feel a particular way, like when I'm working or something and I need like a 90 minute gap where I can't be talked to or like I need that box to focus or something and that box is getting like interrupted, you can be mindful enough to have the conversation saying, well, this isn't working for me. And then we'll talk about what will work and then go from there. Right. But it's, I don't know if I have any, it's not like we have any steps to take. No, I think it's It's just mindfulness. Really. It's mindfulness. And again, it just goes back to communication. So it's like not being scared to say like, Hey, I'm in a bad mood and I just like need an hour. You know what I mean? Like you take the baby and I'm just going to like go stretch or go for a walk or take a bath. So it's like, I need to feel like I can express whatever my needs are and him not be like, oh, well, I'm busy too and I have a list of things I want to do and you, why do you get an hour and I don't get an hour? So I think it's also important not to like compare scores, right? So like there might be a week where maybe he needs more time to himself 
than I do, right? And like, it doesn't mean that in the next week I get more time if I don't need it. It's just, it's he needs what he needs and I'm going to try my best to give it to him and I need what I need yeah. and he's going to do his best to give it to me. And it's not like keeping score. I think that's also really important. But just like being able to say what you need and then your partner to to step up when they need to step up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's acting from the place of love for the mm-hmm. other person and for yeah. yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that's exactly it. it. And it's just knowing that you're each having just like some a human experience and you're, you're just each figuring it out. And luckily you get to figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it comes into like designing that experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at now. Like we're at a really cool spot, like where we're really enjoying life and all that kinds of stuff. But now the next step is like, 2020 was designer 10-year like, plan yeah. yeah that's right let's do it i really want us to try out building an experiment for you guys and see <laughs> if, if there are any learnings that we can get out of it maybe is there an area of life that you'd like to improve or you'd like to optimize oh man see that's the problem with us All we're always them. optimizing and improving every area <laughs> it never ends so man i wish i would say more travel but like with covid it's kind of like it's a, not possible Right well, now. travel uh, travel can be broken down. Like travel is probably like more feeling adventurous or uh, having more new things, new mm-hmm. experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want, we can we can look into into travel because travel is just one outlet of getting the feeling. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we traveled all week. We were gone in 2018. <laughs> we were traveling every two, month, two weeks out of the month. Yeah, every month. And then 2019 kind of came to a halt. She got pregnant, and then now it's like. Okay. But I think that living life without the, we can't mentality because we have a kid like your parents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we traveled everywhere. Right. The uncertainty doesn't matter. We just want to do it. So to live life without those boundaries that are most people like kind of construct for themselves, I think would be really fun. Well, it seems like you guys are already doing it, which is, which is beautiful. Yeah. Traveling with kids, I think. So on, on my podcast, I interviewed an entrepreneur. He started, he started seven nine figure businesses. And what he, what he did is he took his kids to travel with him and they're homeschooled or they're schooled digitally. And they were just experiencing life, living, living in, in Europe, living in Barcelona, living all over the place. And there's always a way to do something and mm-hmm. he found that way and it's not it's not necessarily super sophisticated you can look up on the internet like how other people do it <laughs> with kids in particular i think nobody should look at having children as something that limits the expression of what they want to do with their lives mm-hmm. because there's there's certain way and what my parents did with me that just turned me into a better person, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I probably would be somewhere in Russia right now if they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I totally agree. I think there's, you know, much like the way that you got to Necker Island, right? There's, there's a vision of the way that we travel and how we travel and where we go and why we do it. And there's where we are now. And I think there's a creative kind of mission forward way that we can create it. We just got to develop that clarity. And I think that's where we're at right now is like really like communicating and developing the clarity of exactly what, what that is. Yeah. So uh, a a travel, it feels like you guys, you guys already love doing travel. So Mm -hmm. doing an experiment in travel is not something that, uh, you know, that's going to bring you necessarily new insights, maybe, maybe engineering or building building a plan to get more travel uh that can be something but is there anything that you guys would like to learn more about yourselves or i guess discover 
So something, so I guess we're trying to find like maybe like weak points essentially, right? Like those are like the best experiments. They don't have to be weak points. They should be just things that maybe you've been putting off for a while, or maybe the things that are your big desires, the goals that you've created for yourself, but you've never taken steps to, you know, to see, uh, to see if you, if you actually like it or if you've never taken the first steps and if you if you believe that you really want this out of life, those could be like really fun experiments. So for me, meditation is something that I know I should be doing and I'm very, very inconsistent. Like I'll go on a streak where I'll go like, you know, a week in a row, well, like a, seven days in a row and I meditate and then I won't meditate for another six months. So for me, like I would love to have a consistent meditation practice, like every single day do something. I just always make an excuse as to why that doesn't happen. So that's one. Another one that I wanted to do, like going back to like diet, like I've always wanted to try the blood type diet because to me that's so interesting, like the theory behind it. But again, it's, I've been what avoiding. Oh yeah, it sucks because so we both have the, like what's considered the newest blood type, which means that you're kind of like the weakest when it comes to your immune system and like what you can kind of handle. So it's the most limited diet. So I'm like, oh, I also don't want to get rid of all of the meats because that would suck to me. Like I don't want to just eat fish and tofu. Like that's boring. But I do want to see it and just like see if I feel better. So like that and meditation because I just want to feel more energized. I think since having the baby, I'm just like constantly tired. So I'm like fluctuating between like under caffeinated and over caffeinated. And I just want to be at like an <laughs> really? energetic level without a stimulus. So that would be, that's a goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those would be fun experiments. I've done an experiment with 30 days of YouTube. Essentially, I would create one YouTube video a day. Oh, wow. And I've tried a version of it where I would do 15 videos in 30 days. The 15 videos in 30 days was an experiment that failed. I did like four and because I need to do them like every other day or I need, you know, I get to do them whenever. And just like in the 30 days, it has to happen. Uh, for me, there wasn't, there wasn't this practice where I needed to do something by the end of the day. And when I did the um, one video a day experiment, that was amazing. Uh, that was amazing because there was, there was this consistency, discipline, kind of new habits. And there were moments when it was 2 a.m. and I still didn't have a video and I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't go to sleep. So I had to pull up my camera and I was like, fuck, what topic do I know really well about that I don't need to research for? And that was my experiment. And then that was a skill that I, I acquired through, through the experiment. So Candice, maybe would you, like to, would you like to try the diet experiment or the meditation experiment for 30 days? Ooh, which one should I do? Which one? You, I'll let you pick. Meditation? Yeah. Okay, let's do the meditation. I'm already so nervous. I'll join you. <laughs> Stellar. Hell yeah. Do you guys have a time that you want to meditate? I would say like minimum of 10 minutes for me. So I have an app that I really like. Again, I've only used it like maybe 10 times or 12 times because again, like consistency is my my flaw. It's the waking up app with Sam Harris and it's like the best uh-huh. one I've ever used. Like you have to pay love for it. it, but anyone who's looking for a great app, like that's when I recommend. I love that. 30 day challenge, 10 minutes. A At day. least 10 minutes. As, is there like a certain time? time we're supposed to Does it have to be done like before a certain time of the day or like as long as it's done before bed? What usually works the best is putting it on on your schedule Mm -hmm. or putting it within your routine that you do anyways. Mm -hmm. What I like doing as well is I like writing, creating like uh, 30 boxes that I check off Mm -hmm. uh, because that makes it very visual. 
something something that worked really well. It's a very easy experiment that to do, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, super easy, super straightforward. You have the app. In designing experiments that that work, having clarity is probably the most important thing. So if you know which app you're going to be using, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how the Sam Harris's app looks like because if there is like one same meditation, you might get bored and then you might not look forward to doing that. So uh, make sure that there's enough. Yeah, it's a different one every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they oh, even have cool. a 28-day introductory course mm-hmm. that you can do. 28-day introductory course, 8.30 every morning. <laughs> okay. Right. It's that easy. Yeah, right. and you, can, you guys can have accountability as well. Let's see how many people can do it with us. Yeah. Hit her up on her, on her social. Yeah, and we'll check Let's in. crew. See much. I honestly think like anyone who does this, even if it's just us, I think we're gonna both be a lot ha- like happier for it. Yeah. yeah, I need something to clear the chaos yeah. in my head. Yep. But yeah, before we take off, Renat, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on like your socials, your website, anything you're working on? Absolutely, guys. I had an amazing time with you. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, Absolutely loved it. Fun experiment. I'm really excited for you guys also to try something, something new. And hopefully once you try this meditation experience, you get to try other experiments on your lives and see what you can learn from yourself and see how you can improve your life proactively. But like you said, it's all well. about the commitment though, right? Like don't flake it. Mm-hmm. Don't, right? It's just mm-hmm. commit. Mm-hmm. 30 days. Yeah. There it is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the beautiful thing about doing experiments when you have 30 days, that creates kind of a boundary. All you can do is you can hate 30 days. That's it. You know, if you, if you don't like it, just keep doing it. You will, you will hate 30 days and you will, you will say by the end of the experiment, I did not like it. This is not something for me because a lot of the times in the beginning, you have to break through a wall in order to start seeing the positive results and people oftentimes that's where they give up. About information on what I'm working on, you can check out lifestyle.engineering. I'm working on the book right now. We have a podcast episode with Candice as well. You can you can check it out <laughs> too. It was super fun. And yeah, feel free to drop me an email at renat at gabitov.com. Deliberately off social media. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I got to do that. Old school email. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Dude, this has been awesome. Yeah. Great. Super interesting conversation. conversation. Yeah. Great conversation. We're we're so grateful to have you for the hour and a half that we had you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I feel the same way. Thank you guys. Much appreciated. Have a good one. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review, and you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.